As I read from this text, I want you to know that this is a parallel text to the text that I did on last week. I'm reading actually this morning from the book of Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. And it parallels the text that we looked on last week. That was Matthew chapter 7, verses 14 through 21. Uh, the last parallel that you would find of this particular encounter would be actually Luke chapter 9, verses 37 through 42. But I'm going to deal with Mark Mark's account on this morning, and it reads from verse number 14. I'm reading from the New King James Version. It sounds something like this. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast out, cast it out, but they could, they could not. He answered and said to him, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring the boy to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Repeat that one more time. Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father's response to Jesus was from since childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But my Lord, if you can do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Let me, let me repeat this so that this kind of sits into your spirit. Verse number 21. So Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to the boy? The issue at hand is with the boy. I want you to note that. He said from his childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you, Jesus, can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, 
huh, with tears in his eyes. Lord, I, I do believe. Just help, if you would, my unbelief. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears in his eyes, Lord, I believe. Please help my unbelief. Would you join me in preaching the sermon for the next few minutes that is entitled, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Go ahead and have your seats. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. This particular account, if you would allow me to just do my diligence, and in fact the entire gospel account of Mark is generally identified as the earliest of the gospel writings. Many scholars therefore recognize that this particular account, that is the account of Mark, may have provided source material for other gospel accounts, namely Matthew, Luke, and of course the gospel of John. That being said, we, we recall that our text from last week, Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, Matthew, Matthew seemed to focus on the dialogue from the perspective of Jesus and the disciples when they came to him afterward privately asking or begging the question, why were we unable to cast out the demon? However, this week in our text, according to Mark's account, Mark's rendering of the events, we, we get a focus and insight into more of the conversation between Jesus and the father of the little boy. Church, the setting of our text is drenched in feelings of general, if not utter, disappointment. It is drenched in feelings of frustration, a sense of, of weak, if not weakening, or lack of faith thereof. We are notified, according to Mark, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we, we are notified of the desperate state of a father. We are able to get a glimpse into the state of this young son. We see the confusion and chaos of all those who were around, but also we are made aware of a problem that didn't get dealt with. Chaos, doubt, frustration, and a sense of impotence. That is a lack of power. Not to mention hopelessness fills the air among those who were gathered and who were present at this particular time. 
And I need for us to see that right here in this space, when Jesus comes into our text, when Jesus comes into this scenario, I need for us to, to see right here that in this space, in this time, among the multitudes that were present there, the scribes being present, the man and his son being present, the disciples being present, other individuals being present, I need for us to appreciate that it's right here in this space that the devil often goes to work more than ever before. For oftentimes, if we're not careful, we need to appreciate something about this scene and this situation that fear, doubt, and faithlessness is, is essentially a cancer that infects and, and, and is passed on from one person to the next. It's a disease that, if we aren't careful, could start and trickle from one person and all of a sudden it infects an entire, an entire crowd. And so right here, I need for us to appreciate that, that as you think about what has taken place, the atmosphere, the crowd, and everything that is building, the chaos and the frustration, all of what's happening here is a reflection of the devil at work. For the devil will use your fear. The devil will use your doubt. The devil will use our weakness of faith. And what would seem as something minuscule will ultimately matriculate into something that is major. So it stands to reason as we look at this particular situation, we see the chaos, we see the confusion, we see the brokenness, we see the doubt, we see the frustration, but we also see the stepping in of Jesus. For in as much as there was chaos, Jesus walks into the chaos. In as much as was confusion. Jesus steps into the confusion as, as much as there was brokenness. Yeshua steps towards the brokenness as in as much as there was doubt. We see Yeshua stepping towards the doubt. What are you saying, Brother Morgan? In spite of how dark a situation is, Jesus steps in every single time. We serve a God. I, I, I know you could say amen to that because you and I have been through some dark situations in life. You and I have been through some frustrating situations in life. You and I may have even been through some situations of faithlessness in life. But thank God for Jesus because in our brokenness, in our chaos, in our calamity, and in our frustration, in our faithlessness, Jesus still steps in. I need for us to see that even though there was a sense of impotence, even though there seemed to have been a lack of power, here was power coming in to the situation. Do, don't you feel like that sometimes, that nothing that you do or nothing that is said is able to change your circumstance? You've been praying about your mouth for so long. You've been praying about your characteristics for so long. You've been praying about your mind for so long. But I need for you to appreciate this in as much as it might seem hopeless and faithless. Uh, God still has the capacity to step in. I'm telling you about a year and a half ago, it, it kind of felt hopeless from an academic perspective. And, uh, and so I, I had to be reminded that even in a, in a time of hopelessness, Yeshua, Jesus, I, 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 I need to be reminded that even though there were times when there might not seem to be a way going forward, Yeshua, that is Jesus, has the capacity to step in. So Jesus steps in to the brokenness. Jesus steps in to the frustration. 
Jesus steps into the calamity. Jesus steps in to the distress. And you know what happens when Jesus steps in, don't you? When Jesus steps in, the thing that was a challenge all of a sudden becomes a testimony. When Jesus steps in, the thing that was a frustration now becomes a sense or a point of praise. You know what happens when Jesus is allowed to step into your situation, don't you? The thing that was once difficult now becomes divine in nature and Jesus has a platform to showcase his power. You and I would not have the ability as human beings to recognize the deity. You and I would not have the ability to recognize the goodness. You and I would not have the ability to recognize the awesomeness of God, but for those dark situations in our lives. That is not to say, as we would have heard from the text this morning, and I love the fact that we had that text this morning, that is not to say that God is pleased or God delights in the suffering of human beings, but the God that we serve is able to take the suffering and turn it into a shouting point. So even though things might seem faithless, God is saying something in this text that if you would only put your faith in me, though the situation might be deemed one that is hard, though the situation might be deemed one that is hopeless, if you would put your trust in me, you will see the impossible become possible. So as we look at the text, I want you to see three things. Ultimately, it's four, but I don't know if I'll get to the four, but I want to see three things really quickly here in this text, and the message hopefully would would be yours. I hope this, la this lands on some good soil on this morning, but there are three things. Uh, there are four things in this text I want us to just see really, really quickly. You guys all right? As we look at the text, number one, I want us to see that the inability, the inability of the disciples doesn't stop Jesus from inviting people into his presence. The inability of the disciples never stops Jesus from welcoming or inviting people into his presence. As you think about what's happening, he would say, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? But ultimately, he says, bring the boy unto me. Initially, when he, the father has the conversation with Jesus, he told Jesus, I brought my son to you. That's how the conversation started. If you look carefully in your text, that's how he started the text. He said, I brought my son to you for you to do something. But ultimately, when I didn't find you, of course, the disciples were there and I expected them to do something. I petitioned them that they should do something, but they could not. But I need for us to appreciate in as much as we might have the ability to not function in a certain capacity, in as much as we are limited as human beings to meet the needs of individuals, Jesus has the capacity to still meet those needs. You might come to us sometimes. Has that ever happened to you as somebody comes to you as a child of God because they think you have the answers and they believe that whatever you suggest might be very well the thing that would help them overcome their situation. But as you sit with them and as you counsel them, the truth is sometimes the thing might become worse as opposed to becoming better. And people lose a sense of confidence now because the thing that you were helping them with wasn't, wasn't a help but actually was looking like it was becoming more of a hindrance. And I'm saying our inability as human beings doesn't stop Jesus from still calling people to the altar. 
We are in fact limited in our capacity to do what only God himself has the ability to do. Could I share this with you, church, really quickly? I know depending on what religious uh, you know, belief system you come from or maybe uh, the things that you've seen on television, maybe even the things you have experienced, I know, I know, I know, you know, sometimes you would, you would go to an individual who is dressed a certain way with a color that's turned around and you expect that person to forgive your sins. I need for you to hear this and hear me well. We do not have the capacity to forgive anybody of their sins. That's a power that only Jesus holds. We do have the capacity, however, to forgive. You and I don't have the capacity to forgive anybody of their sins. So people come into us to beg for forgiveness. Sometimes we make ourselves mini-gods in thinking that we have the capacity to hold somebody at ransom. You and I don't have the capacity. That's something for God. That's a God thing. You and I don't have the capacity to forgive sins. That's God. But we do have the capacity to forgive. So take your sins all you want to somebody who has a robe on a, or, or dangles a rosary or whatever. Take that sin to that person all you want. I'll just let you know. No preacher, no pastor, no, no, no anybody could forgive you of your sins. That's between you and your God. But Brother Morgan, I'm just coming to you because as the man of God, as the voice of God, I feel like I, I, I want to bring my sins to you and I, I, I feel I want, it, it's okay. We'll pray for it. I need for you to understand that while we're praying, I'm ushering you to the one who is able to forgive you of your sins. If, if you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. If you want to pray about it, we'll pray about it. If we, if we need to study about it, we'll study about it. But ultimately, please get what I'm saying. I'm not the one... The elders aren't the ones, the brothers, the ministers aren't the ones, the priests aren't the ones that has the capacity to forgive you and I of sins. That is a God thing. But in spite of the fact that you and I have the, do not have the capacity or the ability to forgive anybody of their sins, Jesus through the gospel still says we need to preach it because I'm still inviting people to come and have their sins forgiven. So in spite of their inability, I need for us to see this church, uh, in spite of their inability, Jesus still invites people into his presence. It was never about the disciples. It was always about Jesus. It was never and will never be about the church. Somebody help me. But it's always about the Christ. Stop inviting, stop inviting people to come to church in as much as what we ought to be doing is inviting people to come and experience Christ. It's not about the church. It's about Christ. The church is about Christ's business. So we, we need to appreciate that in the text, it's not really about the disciples. It's about the divine. It's not about church. It's about Christ because the power is never in the human being. The power is always in the divine. You guys with me? Is that all right? Is that all right? Number two, number two, let me, let me hasten number two. Second thing we find in the text is the, the, the inability of the disciples doesn't diminish Jesus' power. In the first instance, the inability of the disciples never stops anyone or Jesus from inviting people into his presence. But in the second instance, I want us to see that the inability or the impotence of the disciples does not mean that God himself or Christ himself, Yeshua, is impotent. 
So that is to simply say that our ability to, to not handle something does not mean that God doesn't have the ability to handle something. So watch this. Uh, in verse number 21, so he asked the father, how long has this been happening to the boy? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But he says, if you can do anything... I need for you to see the danger in faithlessness. I need for you to see the danger in fear. I need for you to see the danger in doubt because when he came to the disciples the first time, he was confident or had some level of confidence that the disciples had the ability or the capacity to do something for the boy. But as a result of the disciples not being able to cast out the demon, as a result of the boy still being the same way after he left the presence of the disciples, now he's in the presence of Yeshua. Now he's in the presence of, 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 of the I am. Now he's in the presence of Jesus. Jesus, and he has the audacity of mind to say to Jesus, if you could do anything. When he came to the disciples, he was confident that they should have had the ability. When he came to the disciples, he had the faith enough to believe that they could have touched or they could have uttered the words to cast out the demons, but because they couldn't know, he is doubting the very power and deity of Jesus. Could, could, I, could, I, could I say this really quick before we move on to our third point? I need for us to understand that why it is it's so important for you and I to walk hand in hand with Jesus because our failure to live holy lives only creates doubt and fear and hopelessness in the minds of others who might be in search of Jesus. Have you ever heard the expression, those church folks? Could, could I get a little bit more colloquial? Have you ever heard the expression, them church people? Uh, the, the reason why it is people no longer have an unction to want to search for Jesus because when they look at Jesus' representatives on the earth, we oftentimes come across as impotent. We, we don't have power displayed in our very own lives. So when they look at the impotence in us, they think that we serve an impotent God. But the inability of the disciples to do something does not reflect on God's ability to change everything. We see that in the text. You, if you would only look at the text, you would realize that, that mama's inability to serve in, in a capacity as a mama doesn't mean that God still can't show up. Dad's inability to do what a dad is supposed to do doesn't mean that God can show up. Your friend's inability to be there for you the way that they were supposed to doesn't mean that Jesus is not a good friend. So here it is in the text. We find the fact that the inability of the disciples doesn't in any way, form, or fashion. Can I make that disclaimer? Our inability, their inability to function in no way, form, or fashion diminishes the power of Jesus to deal with the boy's situation. Here is number three. Our inability to trust God with everything often hinders the movement from the impossible to that which is possible. Let me repeat that one more time for the people that are taking notes. Our inability to trust God with everything often hinders the movement from that which is impossible to that which is possible. Jesus said to him, if you can believe... All things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe, 
All things are possible to him who believes. Now, let me, let me say this as a, as, as a quick, uh, let me put a pin in it right here because I, I know in, in faith today there is a teaching that says, uh, you know, especially among those who are quote-unquote faith miracle healers. Faith miracle healers come up with an excuse, uh, you know, to, to perpetrate their theology and their belief and their practice that if they were unable to heal a particular person that was in their presence at that particular point in time, well, it must mean that that person didn't have faith. But I need first to appreciate that that's not necessarily the drive or the focal point of Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, because you recognize in the text that the man confesses something to Jesus here soon in just a little bit. But, but a lot of times when, we, when you look at these faith, uh, these miracle healers, they will tell you, well, the reason why this man who is lame didn't have the ability to walk or walk properly was because maybe his faith wasn't right. Or, or maybe the, the reason why they weren't able to dispense, dispense uh, you know, HIV or AIDS out of this individual was because this person didn't have a certain level of faith, and they would use things like these to say, well, the reason why we weren't able to perform the miracle was because of the faithlessness of the one that came with the miracle or the need. But I need for us to appreciate that that's not the case. That's not the thrust. That's not the core reason in the text. As a matter of fact, the text teaches something different. Number one, if we go back from last week, we'll appreciate that there is a multitude of individuals here that has showcased some form of faithlessness. So here is the truth. Regardless of the faithlessness in the text, be it the disciples, be it the father, be it the crowd, be it the scribe, ultimately at the end of this pericope of text, at the end of this situation and scenario, a young boy who was convulsed by a demon will no longer live the rest of his life convulsed by a demon. Because that is to say, in spite of faithlessness, and I need for us to see the grace of God right here, in spite of our faithlessness at times, in spite of our doubts, in spite of us not being able to comprehend totally everything, Jesus still does have the capacity to heal. And more often than not, in spite of people's faithlessness, Jesus always shows up and he changes the situation. He always shows up and he does what he always does. So it's never a matter of whether or not the power is there. But really, the father heard something, and it, it really impressed on him enough to the extent that it brought tears to his eyes. Here's what Jesus does, and here's what the father says. When Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. What Jesus did is Jesus took the responsibility or took the ownership of the, of the boy either being healed or not being healed. He placed that on the father. According to Matthew's account, later on when, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and privately, Jesus would kind of lay the burden or the onus on them because of your unbelief. But Mark takes an approach to where Jesus places a lot of responsibility not only on the disciples and their belief system, but he places a lot of responsibility on the faith or lack thereof on the Father. When the father heard this, the scripture says immediately he comes to Jesus and he cries out with tears in his eyes. Did you notice that in the text? The very next, the very next verse, it says in verse number 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears in his eyes. Because if as a parent I realize that a lot of my a lot of the hindrance to, to, to make change to my sons or my daughters or my kids' lives rests on my ability to truly trust in God. That is where the problem lied for this father. So when Jesus said, if you can believe, 
Look at the wording. Nothing is impossible. So the responsibility Jesus places on the individual, I need for you to just trust. Because if you just trust, I need for you to trust the way that you trusted earlier when you brought them to the disciples. The same kind of trust you had in them, but I need for you to trust in me right now. It's not a matter of if you can do anything. I need for you to trust that I could do everything. That, that's different. It's not a matter of, well, God, if you could do something for me, God, I know you could do everything for me. Do you, do, do you see how that, that, that change, just that subtle change in wording could change the way that you pray? It's not about, well, God, if, if you would only do something for me right now. No, 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 God, I know you could do everything for me right now. So even in your prayer, I need for you to pray as one who has faith. James would say, for let not that man, that one who is double-minded, that man who does not have faith, let not that man or woman think that he shall receive anything unless it is asked in faith. So faith is so important. Because in as much as we're praying for change, we need to be praying in faith, praying in confidence that God does have the capacity to change our situation. Watch this, watch this. It said, immediately after Jesus said that to this man, he comes to Jesus immediately crying with tears in his eyes, having a confession. The confession is simply this, Lord I believe. But what I need your help with right now is my unbelief. In an oxymoronic way, in a way that boggles the mind, he peers, this man peers apparent belief in Jesus with moments of unbelief at the same time. So when Jesus says to, the, says to him, if you can believe, full stop. Nothing is going to be impossible for you. He understands that, listen, faith is so integral to my son's delivery right now. But I, I, I have to recognize, I have to confess to Jesus right now that while I'm hearing you, Jesus, while I'm seeing you, Jesus, there is a level of confidence that I'm struggling with right now. And as Christians, sometimes we, we have to be open and honest with ourselves. Yes, we believe in Jesus. Yes, we believe the things about you. But there are times, church, if we're honest, that we struggle with having full confidence. I, I, I wish we would have some people who are honest to say that sometimes I, I, I struggle to pray because in, my, in that moment that I'm going through frustration, in that moment I'm going through chaos, in that moment that I'm going through my thing, the reason why I'm struggling to pray is because I'm wondering about God's capacity to deal with this situation right now. So it's not uncommon for an individual, it's not uncommon for a believer to get to a place where, yes, we believe in Yeshua. Yes, all the, all the history is there. Yes, I see all the dynamics. Yes, 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 yes. But there are times when my faith isn't drenched fully in confidence. That's really why a space like this becomes so important. Because in as much as we could do that in private, sometimes we have the capacity to come, to come together as a family and encourage each other. But guess what? We oftentimes spend this time putting on face. We oftentimes spend this time, we come in and we're hurting, but we don't want anybody to know we're hurting. And we smile and we smile and we smile until things go down the tubes. 
Whereas this is supposed to be a space where we could come and we could, we could be ushered into, of course, the presence of each other as we fellowship with each other and as we worship God. We are able to, to peel back the layers of, of the flesh and say, Lord, I'm here, but you know, God, that I'm struggling with some things. I claim to believe in you, and I believe in you in the depths of my heart. I do believe that there is a Jesus, but there are times when I wonder about his power. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I, I just wish that I would have 10 people who are honest with themselves to, 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 to say to themselves and to say aloud that there are times when, yes, I know that I have a confidence that rests on Jesus, but there are times when I struggle with my faith. There are times when I could utter the words easily, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, but when the rubber hits the road, it's hard for me to display that belief in my life. I, I wish I would have 10 people to just say, yes, that is true, that when it is I think about my confession of faith with my mouth, it's more difficult to come to terms with that in my mind. Because it's easy to say it, it's much more difficult to live it. But here's the truth in the text, and I'll be done. Here's the truth in the text. The truth in the text is that when you look at it, it's not really about our faith in as much as it's putting our faith where that faith needs to be. Because in this man's doubt, in this man's area of faith and life where he was lacking, he still had the wherewithal to say to Jesus, Jesus, I do believe. But boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy, I'm struggling with some things. Boy, oh boy, there are some areas that I'm still having to deal with. Boy, oh boy, there are some areas in my belief theology that I'm still struggling. Boy, oh boy, I believe in you, Jesus. But boy, oh boy, I need for you to help me in my unbelief. That's where I am. I believe wholeheartedly in Jesus, but there are times where I can't see what's going to take place tomorrow, and I need to say to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but I need for you to help this preacher in his unbelief. That's where I am as a parent, because in as much as my kids are eight and soon to be four, I can't picture them at 13, 14, 15, even 18, living in a world that's getting darker and darker, and I'm praying to God, Lord, you know I believe, but help my unbelief. As a husband, I'm praying that prayer, God, you know I love my wife. I don't know what the next 10 years will hold but in spite of what I don't know and what I can't see I know you help me help me in my unbelief so let me just say this and I'll be done here's the number four thing the number four thing in the text I want us to appreciate is this do not expect that when Jesus is about to give healing that that healing doesn't sometimes look ugly. The old people have a saying, it sometimes gets a whole lot worse huh, before it gets better. But I thought we went to that marriage class. Yeah, you did. But before it gets better, it's probably going to get worse. But I thought we went to counseling sessions. Well, yeah, you did go to the counseling sessions and you're learning some stuff. But before it gets better, it's more liable to get worse. But I thought we had a prayer session with the brethren. Well, yeah, you did have the prayer session. You did go through a period of fasting and mourning. But I need for you to appreciate that sometimes before it gets better, it's liable to get a whole lot worse. I thought we went to the doctor. Yeah, you did go to the doctor. I thought we had chemo. Yeah, you did have chemo. I thought we had surgery. Yeah, you did have but sometimes before it gets better, it's more liable to get, to get worse. Before Jesus 
brings healing in totality to the young boy. It says, as he was coming to Jesus, the spirit convulsed him. That's one. And even after Jesus heals the man, it says that he heals the boy. He was lying there as one who was dead to the extent where they were asking the question, is he, you guys not there with me in the text, is he dead? You might look dead even though you've already received your healing. It might feel or look to others that there is no real healing, but God knows, and, and you know too, you may not have gotten up just yet, but, but you've been healed already, and Jesus then takes the boy by the arm and lifts him up as one who was perceived as dead, as, as one who had just been convulsed. Sometimes your healing doesn't look pretty. As a matter of fact, it looks a whole lot worse before you actually receive your healing. But healing is healing nonetheless, and sometimes it takes a process. So while it's taking the process, here is the prayer. Would you stand with me? And would you say this prayer with me? Here is the prayer when you're going through the process of your healing. Would you, would you say this prayer with me? Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. 